You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Time Baseball Players Edition alongside Ben Davis. I'm Tony Gwynn Jr. Each week, Ben and I try to bring in the biggest, baddest topics going around baseball, you know, the hottest stories. And, and, and you know, we try to break, give you our perspective, you know, as former major leaguers, uh, what we think of what's going on, whether it's, you know, the standings, whether it's we highlight, maybe highlight a pitcher every week or a hitter, different types of hitters every week. Uh, we try to give you our breakdown. Uh, we also try to have a, a, a very nice guest. And, and this week, one of my favorite human beings on the planet Earth will join us. Jimmy Rollins, former Philly uh, shortstop, three-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, MVP, World Series winner. And uh, he's also the, the all-time hits leader for the Philadelphia Phillies. He will join us next. Obviously, Ben, being that you cover the Phillies, you get a chance to work with Jimmy Rollins quite often. He was the the main guy in that yeah. 2008 World Series, the 2009 World Series, which they lost to the Yankees. Jimmy Rollins, in my opinion, was the heart and soul. He was the glue that really held that team together. I know everybody likes Chase, and rightfully so. What Chase Utley did in his career is, is amazing. Uh, both are borderline Hall of Famers. Uh, obviously, we know what Ryan Howard did as well. Jimmy was really the cog that made that machine go. I really yeah, do. You hit it, I think you hit it out of, out of the ballpark, no pun intended. Uh, he was the heart and soul of that team. I remember him declaring that they were going to win the division that year when everybody thought the Mets were going to be the team to beat. Phillies end up doing it, uh, and Jimmy was a big part of that. I want to remind everybody, Big Time Baseball Players Edition is a part of Radio.com, which allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations for free anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts, uh, explore by location or genre to find music, news, and sports from your own location or across the country. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. There was a very interesting uh, way the game for the Mets and Yankees and, and as a catcher. Did you see this last night? I did see it. It was it was incredible, and I don't know how uh, I don't know how you have the wherewithal as a catcher because I, I never had the opportunity or the wherewithal to make a play <laughs> like that. Wilson Ramos ends up catching a foul tip off the bat of Brett Gardner. And first and foremost, you got Mets, you got Yankees, you got rivalry, right? Right. I mean, this is every game, every pitch is just like to the death. 
it's do or die on every pitch. And the way that city reacts to both teams, it's not just always, you know, everyone thinks of New York baseball, they always think of the Yankees. No, you go, you go into Queens, and it's a Mets city, and it's, I mean, that's all they talk about, right? But you have that type of atmosphere, and the Yankees, obviously, I think, are one of the best teams in all of baseball. And then you have the Mets that are kind of up and down throughout this season with Mickey Calloway. Is he going to stay? Is he going to finish the season as their manager? But you have a play that goes down like that that wins a ball game. It's a foul tip. He, he, it tipped off his mitt, and then it tips off his right hand, and then it tips back into his mitt. And he was, it was like a, like a volleyball back there, and that's how the <laughs> game ended. I've never seen anything like that. To have the wherewithal as a catcher, I give him all the credit in the world. Ben, how difficult is it? I've never been behind a dish, never really wanted to be behind a dish. Uh, but why is that play so difficult? Well, first and foremost, it, it usually either on a foul tip, you either catch it or you don't. Right. And one thing, like, and honestly, I used the smallest catcher's mitt there was. I used a, um, it was a JP 2002, Jorge Posada model. And it was the, the smallest mitt. And my dad would always yell at me. He's like, why don't you use a bigger mitt and you catch more foul tips? I just like the small mitt. It's just the way I was. But you have, on a foul tip like that, you either catch it or you don't. There's no, like, you know, either it, it'll deflect off far away or it's a just straight foul tip into your mitt. And that's it. You catch so it. So it sounds like some of that is, is just pure luck, right? It because... is pure luck. <laughs> okay. Exactly right. I mean, it, and that's it. Either you catch it or you don't. You don't really have it tip off your mitt like that and pop up in the air that's yeah. why you really never see it but again i'll give i'll give ramos all the credit in the world for for catching that ball on the volley like that it was awesome now ben moving on to a much more somber uh story uh tyler skaggs uh passes away uh now two days ago and it, it, you, it's it's hit baseball unlike anything we've really seen in quite some time i mean uh, and this is really the second time for this organization having to deal with this in the past, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years. They've had a, a, a two guys pass away tragically, unexpectedly, and uh, this one this one hit home. I mean, you, when you watch the guys, uh, the, the, Anaheim, the, the Angels yesterday, as they did their press conference, you can see it on all their faces, man. This is something that you don't wish upon anybody having to deal with, and uh, the fact that, you know, Tyler, you know, passes away mid-season, it, it's got to be something that not only his teammates are dealing with, but really the in, entire Major League Baseball family is, is dealing with right now. Yeah, that, I think that's the, the objective word right there is family. Uh, you spend more time with your teammates than you do with your actual family. I mean, he becomes part of your family. Um, you know, he just got married, his wife Carly. Uh, our condolences go out to her. And yeah. uh, he just got married in the off season. And it, what you have to go through from a teammate standpoint, I, it's just, it's awful. It's not just the Angels. It really is the entire baseball family, the baseball community. Major League Baseball as a whole has to deal with this. And, um, you know, unfortunately, he's a, he's a young man, just 27 years old. And, having to go through this, you know, it affects a lot more than just his, his immediate family. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just a, it's an awful situation. And unfortunately the angels are going to have to deal with this throughout the remainder of the season. Um, you know, we see uh, uh, Corbin last night, yeah. a teammate that they was drafted with uh, back in 2009. Um, you know, he, he wore number 45 last night to, to honor Tyler Skaggs. Uh, I think that's a tremendous tribute to him and, um, you know, having to go out there and pitch that in your mind ain't easy. 
No, no, not at all. And listen, I, I, I can, I, I think back, and, and you were involved in this from the standpoint as you were on the team. But I think back to uh, yeah, two thousand two, two thousand two, tragedy yeah. passed away. I, I remember I was at, as I was at San Diego State, and obviously I had been around you guys for for so long. Uh, I remember my mom calling me. Uh, waking me up early in the morning and telling me that Mike Dara passed away, mm-hmm. and I was just a I was what, eighteen, nineteen years old, years old. I wasn't a teammate of his, but I remember how much it affected me. Now you were actually roommates with Mike Dara when this happened. Tell us how you went through what, what you went through and what that was like. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Michael got traded over to the Padres from the Tigers back in '97. Uh, um, so we immediately hit it off. He was a great guy, left-handed hitter. Could, he was a five-tool player. Um, you know, he got a couple cups of coffee, you know, when your dad was having issues with his knees. And, um, you know, Michael looked, looked to be a very promising big leaguer. And Michael and I and Gary Matthews Jr., the three of us were inseparable all throughout the minor leagues, from A-ball on up to the big leagues. We were as thick as the thieves, the three of us. And um, I remember checking into my apartment complex and michael was going to be staying at the same place and i saw him he was out there he just got a new tahoe and uh he was all fired he went out and gave him a big hug and i said i said hey man what's going on he's like no nah, nothing good you know great to see you again and obviously you know we were on different teams now i had gotten traded to to seattle but seattle and san diego shared the same minor league complex or same right. you know spring training complex yeah so we were able to you know be there and and that was the last time I ever saw him. He said, hey, we're going out tonight if you want to go. I said, no. I said, we got first day tomorrow. You know, he was a position player, so he didn't have to report for another week. But he was just there getting some swings in. You know, I, I went into the clubhouse the, the next morning, and Ron Spellacy, our traveling secretary, said, hey, there was a Padre killed last night in a white Yukon. And I knew right then and there it was Michael. And uh, it was just a devastating, devastating uh, occurrence. And obviously, you know, his wife Natalie, his two boys, Michael and Matthew, it was just one of those things like it can't be because Michael was bigger than life, you know, he and was, that's why that's the way you think of, of guys, you know, big leaguers are bigger than larger than life type characters and uh, having him go down. And uh, it was it was awful. And, um, you know, the, the Padres, thankfully, they were able to let me on their plane and we flew out to Corona, California, his hometown. And we had this service out there and I uh, got to see him, unfortunately, one last time and give my condolences to his family. But it's tough. Man. It rocks your world. It, it, it absolutely does, rocks your world. It does. I, you bring that up. And, you know, I, I, I watched that press conference yesterday, watching Mike Trout in tears, watching all Brad Ausmus in tears. And it and you spoke on the fact that it, it sometimes it, it can it doesn't just affect the immediate family and how much you're around, guys. I, I think back to Damian Jackson, how affected he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Mike passed away, and it does it ha- when you're around guys all day long. I mean, it, it's really especially you go back to spring training. You start in February. You, you're around them from eight to four, and then you come back. You do it again the next day, and then the season starts. You're around you're around your guys from from one to to eleven o'clock. You you're around the guys for for almost half of the day. So it does become your family. It becomes your immediate family, really, because you're around them more than you are your, your regular family. So I, I, I certainly, my condolences go, goes out to the Skaggs family, to, 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 the, to the Angels, and really all the guys who, who are going through something right now uh, dealing with, with Tyler Skaggs' death throughout Major League Baseball. You know, one guy that, uh, he, he's a guy that you go, to, go, you go to pay to watch him pitch. Every fifth day. I know it's only every fifth day, but you see Max Scherzer. 
no. toe in the slab. You say, you know what? I, I want me some of that. Not in the batter's box. I want nothing of that in the batter's box. Um, you know, we, we saw what happened last week when against the Phillies. The day before, he's in taking bunting practice, and he breaks his nose. Ball deflects off his bat, breaks his nose. He's got two black eyes, right? And I remember being back in the studio back in Philly, and they said, well, that, oh, that's great. You know, great for the Phillies. He won't pitch tomorrow. And I looked at one of the guys, and I said, he won't pitch tomorrow? What are you talking about? He's not going to pitch tomorrow. I said, oh, he'll be pitching. He goes, how's he going to pitch with that? I said, Max Scherzer, you'd have to – you'd have to. his nose would have had to have fallen off for him not to pitch. You know what's funny, Ben, is I play. I had one spring with Max, and I spent, spent, spent a little bit of time with him. And immediately after I saw him foul that ball off his nose, I knew he was going to be irritated because – he probably, when you look at him bunting that day, he wasn't taking it as seriously as it should. So that ends no. up happening. And so my first thought was, oh, I feel sorry for whoever he's facing tomorrow <laughs> because he will be so locked in because of him being upset with himself for not, you know, locking in on his bunting and ended up breaking his nose. Somebody had to pay for that. Unfortunately, yep. <laughs> it was the Phillies. Unfortunately, it was the Phillies. Black eye and all. I mean, he, listen. I don't know in our game right now if there's a if there's a more competitive uh, starting pitcher with his type of stuff in all of baseball. Like, no, he not. is one. Of, he's a he is the 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 definition of a bulldog. Except he has like a plus stuff. So you get a bulldog with a plus stuff. Chances are you're not going to have a good day at the plate, and most nights you don't. No, no, absolutely not. And uh, we know about his contract. I mean, this year alone. 2019 he's making 42 million dollars <laughs> deservingly so i mean obviously his contract was very backloaded when you look at these contracts and it's something that i i think I, if i were a gm me personally i would back away from that you know from the 400 million dollar contract for a pitcher because you don't know I and mean, first of all they only play every fifth day right but then secondly it's like you don't know how they're going to be the older they get the innings are going to dwindle their arm strength is going to go down. That is completely not the case with Max Scherzer. I mean, he's still throwing 97, 98. He's going out there. He stays off the DL. He's a guy that, I mean, honestly, if you give the ball to one person, I know there's some studs out in L.A. I get that. But if I had the guy to go face a team for one for one outing where my life was on the line, I'm giving it to Max Scherzer, period. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. He has certainly surpassed. There was a there was a – Three or four year window when him and Kershaw were battling for that spot. I don't think it's hands down. It's Max Scherzer's spot. That same question: If you had one start, one had to win one game, who are you starting? I don't see how you can make an argument for anybody else other than Max Scherzer. He's, yeah, he's exactly he, right. He, he's that good. He's that good. And, and, and you know, staying in that National League talk, right? Because Washington was one of the teams going into the season. There were some question marks about, right? You lose Bryce Harper. Will this team be able to compete? As I sit here and I look at the National League division, it's not as – or National League uh, side of, of the standings, it, it's not as strong as I think most people anticipate. I think everybody thought Milwaukee, Chicago, even St. Louis would be good. I think in the East you thought Philly, Atlanta, and, and you, the question marks were about Washington. You thought the Mets might be a little bit better. And in the West – I mean, other than the Dodgers, who have clearly separated themselves from everybody in the National League, everybody's pretty much 
bunched up as the same team is not as strong as I think we thought the National League was going to be coming into the year. Yeah, well, I don't know if they're not as strong or is it a simple fact that they're beating up, beating on, up each on each other. Beating up on each other, yeah, that's a you good know, point. I, I, think, I think there's some, some good teams with the exception. I Like, I even I look at the Padres. I think the Padres have a good ball club, but they have to go up against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are ridiculous right now. You know, they've been that way throughout the course of the season, and they're not going to slow down because they're so deep. Um but you look at the NL Central, I think it, it, these teams are just beating up on each other. I think it's going to go down in the wire in the, in the National League East. I think that, that listen, I, I think the Nats are going to make a serious, serious run. They're, they're already they're, starting. They're, they're, yeah, and I'm not a betting man, but the odds for them to win the World Series, because of the, the thump that they have in the lineup, the, obviously the, the, the trio of starters that they have, um, but they are going to make a serious run. The Braves not going to slow down, and I think the Phillies have a lot left in their tank. So it's just a matter of who's going to beat up on each other more as they as this season progresses. As we come to the All Star break, um, you know, I think it's going to be that tight of a race. I don't know what's going to happen in the Central because I think it's going to go down to the, the Cubs and the Brewers just like it did last season. Yeah, and when you look at that Central, I mean. Uh... Pittsburgh, they're they're only four out of it. Cincinnati's only five and a half. And either one of those two teams you mentioned, the Brewers or Cubs, are going to actually run away with this division. Barring uh, a move at the deadline, as you said, they're just beating up on each other, I, I think, especially in that division. Whether, you know, you, you'll watch a series where the Brewers will take two or three from the Cubs. You'll watch the very next series where Pittsburgh will sweep the Brewers. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of been what's been going on in that central division. The only other division that I think is in question is obviously the National League East. Uh, Atlanta had that hot run there where their their record in June was amazing. Uh, yeah. They they played some good baseball, but Philly, you know, has has stayed there. They're not they're not they haven't fallen even despite that good month of June from Atlanta. I still think it's going to be a, a three horse race. I think it's going to be Atlanta. They're going to be tough to beat. They're not going to go anywhere. But I really think that the Phillies and the Nats are going to make serious runs. And when I say serious runs, I mean they're going to win you know, 13 out of 15, something like that, and just really get back into the swing of things in the NL East. Uh, I think both teams have that within them to do that uh, because, hey, I mean, I, I know that the Nats, uh, their pitching, their starting pitching is phenomenal, but I think their, their offense is very underrated. And I just look for them to go out and, and when they need to, just outslug people. And I, we definitely know the Phillies can do that. Um, but the Phillies need some starting pitching the, to, to do anything. If they do get in the playoffs, if they want to go deep in the playoffs, they have to get some more starting pitching. Do, do, um, do you I, think that's because the, the starting pitching is, is beat up or you think they, they don't have enough? I just don't think they have enough. Uh, mm. They're just way too inconsistent. Um, if, if they need to do something, I mean, Aaron Nola is really looking like the Aaron Nola from last year in his last couple starts. Um, he went out and beat the Braves last night 2 nothing. He was great in eight innings. But uh, I think they're just the inconsistencies are, are just starting to wear on them. And I think it's, it just puts too much pressure on the offense to go out there and have to outslug every night. So unless they get some starting pitching, I don't know how deep they can go into the, into the playoffs. Let's move from the National League. So let's talk about uh, the All-Star game. And one of the names that is missing from this, which is, I think, it's not a surprise necessarily. You just always expect to see his name is Bryce Harper. He, he, he's uh, not on the list this year. He's made it in six of, the, of his first seven seasons. Um, I don't see this as a byproduct of anything. I just, he's not having a good year. And, you know, you know, initially when, when guys like Bryce Harper come into the league, there's a lot of buzz around him. 
But if you have to maintain that status by going out and constantly playing well, and if we're being honest, he's kind of been up and down throughout his career. And I, and I think that's why we don't see him. Uh, uh, of course, there's a lot of new guys in there who are having terrific years that are also cost, uh, pushing him out of the All-Star game. But he's usually a guy who's elected by the fan vote. And clearly the fans haven't seen uh, what they expected from Bryce Harper this year. I think he's just having a, a you know run-of-the-mill season this year. Um, he's been good. He's been bad. He's been really good. He's been really bad. And, you know, and that's just – that's. Bryce Harper, we know he's going to strike out a lot. We know he's going to hit home runs. I mean, he's still on pace to hit, have like 110 RBIs and still hit 35 homers. So I think if you're telling Philly fans that, that would be the, his numbers at the end of the year, I think they'd be happy with it. But, yeah. you know, I don't think it's really a snub. Tony, there are 31 first-time All-Star players this year. Amazing. 31. It, it's, it is amazing. But if you look at, like, Bryce Harper, who's, who's he better than? Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, exactly, Ronald yeah. Acuna. You know what? It's just he's just not having as good a year. You know, you got David Dahl who's having a great year. Charlie Blackman uh, who's having a great year. It's just the bottom line is he's not having as good a year as the other guys. And and you you like to see all these guys. And I could be really going out on a limb here, but I think this crop of all stars, both National League and American League, I think this crop of all stars are as good as talent as we've we've ever seen. And I know I never got to watch Willie Mays play or Mickey Mantle. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about really good players, right, back in the day. But I think this crop of players, I think they are beyond talented. I, I really do. I think there's so many different guys that can beat you in so many different ways, and that's what makes this crop so special. No, you know, no doubt. And, and you bring up so many good points with the new, uh, the some of the younger All-Stars. Just a guy like Jeff McNeil, right? First, like, real season at the big league level. And he's having, he's leading the league in hitting. Of course, he's got to get on there. David Dahl, Charlie Blackman is having had one of the best months I can remember in a long time. And yes, I know his splits are crazy from road to home, but he's he didn't make the schedule. And he and you know he plays in Colorado. That's that's the yep. way it is. And listen, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, Ronald Acuna, there those were no brainers to me. I didn't see anybody surpassing those guys. Uh, there may have been some arguments because of the whole Colorado thing. But again, that is not their issue. The, the one thing I've noticed looking at both rosters, I think the pendulum has finally changed over to the National League. For a long time, it just seemed like the, the mega stars were in the American League and they were the ones uh, really favored to win. This is going to be one of the few times that I can remember in a while where the National League should be favored going into this game based on the rosters that we see in front of us. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 talk it just about the the first baseman alone oh for the gosh. National League. It's a joke. It is. Right? It's it an is. absolute joke. Eric Hosmer is hitting over three hundred. He has like fifty something RBIs, and he's not even going to get a sniff at this All Star game because no. you got guys like Pete Alonso who is hitting homer after a homer. You got guys like Josh Bell who seemingly creates an RBI every time he comes up to the plate. Uh, and obviously Freddie Freeman, he's doing his thing. He's he's one of the the old vets in his fourth All Star game uh, this year. But that first base position is loaded, and I think people have to also remember when we talk start talking about snubs and guys who who didn't make the All Star game. You have to remember there's a lot more that goes into it than just numbers, right? Every team has to have a represent a representative, which could end up pushing a guy who may be deserving to go, but they already have a representative already on that team. 
that put can could possibly push people out, and that's how you start getting these snubs. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily. It's just the bottom line. You know what? You're it, if you and I are both catchers, and you're having a better year than me, you got to look at it and say, you know what, dude, you're having a better year than me. I know I'm having a great year, but you're better than me this year. Right, I think that's right. the way some of these players have to look at it. I, I think that's the only way to look at it. I mean, uh, I, 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 I want to talk about some of these first-time gores, like Ketel Marte, like this, 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 the second baseman for Arizona Diamondback. He's been tremendous. We talked about Pete Alonzo, Josh Bell, first-time All-Star members, Paul DeJoung. He's a first timer. A lot of two, a lot of second timers in this in this bunch too. I can't believe it was mind blowing to me that Anthony Rendon has never made an All Star game prior to this year. Mind blowing. I, I know, and he you know he's the guy. He's a free agent at the end of the year. He's going to get his. That's oh, the bottom line at the end no of the season. He is going to get his. Uh, you know, if the somehow some way the the Philly could get him, I don't know. That's yet to be seen. But I just don't want to see him in a Nats uniform against the Phillies any longer because <laughs> he terrorizes them. But you're right. It's his first all-star appearance. I think he's a guy, you know, he just doesn't get a whole lot of attention. You he know, does. the Nationals don't get, for whatever reason, national coverage a whole lot. But he's not a guy. He's not very flamboyant. No. Nope. He's not very flashy. He just gets the job done. He's so good with the bat. I think his glove is severely underrated. He gets to everything. He's he's. It's amazing how he throws from that three-quarter Laredo, but he's right on the money to first base every time. He is very, very special, and I'm very surprised it's his first year making it. Can we talk about one of my favorite parts about All-Star Game, and, and that's the Home Run Derby. Um, mm-hmm. The the It'll be announced today, the, the I think there's two spots remaining uh, in, the All, or in the All-Star Home Run Derby. Uh, I personally, and I, this might be a homer pick, I think Fran Marez has to be one of those picks. Um, but but with the guys that have been picked, Christian Yelich, Pete Alonso, Josh Bell, Ronald Acuna Jr., Carlos Santana, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think, first of all, I think it's it's awesome that Major League Baseball didn't have to like search for people this year as they've had the past couple years, it seemed like, uh, trying to find guys who wanted to participate. It seemed like there mm-hmm. were a lot of guys who were willing to do it. The way they have have uh, made the home run derby, the la- especially last year, it makes it a little bit more exciting. And you want to see guys who not only can hit the long ball, but can put on a show. And that's why I think Fran Moraes is a perfect personality to be mm-hmm. one of these final two spots. But nevertheless, whoever gets in, I think it's going to be a very exciting home run derby. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a blast to watch. I, I my sleeper for the tour, for the, the whole home run derby, Carlos Santana. Oh, it's yeah. his first ever All-Star game. He's going to be starting in the All-Star game, and he's doing it in front of the home crowd. He can get into a rhythm. He gets the right pitches. He can start to launch. He gets that swing into that pattern. He can just keep going and going. I just think he's got. He's going to have a little momentum on his side, but there's some good guys. I mean, it's going to be a blast to watch. You know, like you said, putting on a show, that's what the fans want. That's what I want to watch on TV. Right. right. I want to see how far these balls can actually go. And there's no doubt we got uh, a good group. It, it, I found it funny. There was a video released on Twitter yesterday from Vladimir Greer Jr. in the setting of Home Run Derby, right? there, He's no no cage over him. He's got the catcher there, uh, and they're just throwing in the baseball. I thought it was a brilliant idea. I don't know that I've seen anybody actually work on that because if you haven't done it, it can be a little intimidating, right? You're used to hitting batting practice with that big shell over your head. It can feel almost a little naked 
when you don't have that shell. And I could, and from talking from guys who've been in the home run derby, that's one of the tougher things to get used to is that it's an it's actually an open field, and it takes you know a few swings for some guys to get used to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember talking to Boone about it. He did the home run contest, and he didn't hit any out, and we let him have it. But he said how drastically different it was, you know, not have that cage above you. And it's like, oh, I'm just out here all by myself. I think that cage cage adds a lot. When you're used to hitting in that thing, you know, guys can sit there and launch. But once you remove that and you get in that setting, it it can be terrifying, I think, to some guys. One of the things that came through yesterday, obviously the international pool uh, signings, came through the Yankees, uh, once again, have found their way uh, signing the top international guy. Uh, and, and it seems like the rich just keep getting richer, huh? Yeah, who doesn't want to play for the Yankees, right? right. Um, $5 million is an awful, awful stiff uh, price tag to put on a, a young 16-year-old. But, you know, the, the Yankees figure that's where, they want, want to, that's where they want to go. That's where they want to put their money. But you see a lot of these teams, and this is, this is huge for farm systems, to be able to go out and really grab these guys up, get them at such a young age, develop them into the type of baseball player they want them to be. They find these guys, they develop them in their system, much like the Cardinals do. The Cardinals guys, they come out of their farm system, they go to the big leagues, they know exactly what they're doing because it's taught at every level. Much the same with the Yankees. But you see a lot of these clubs making trades and, and trading you know, sometimes for that international pool yeah, money yeah. because it means so much to their farm systems to be able to go out and get these guys, get them at such an early age, and start developing them right away. It means a lot. Well, I can tell you that it, it for the Padres, it, it's, it's meant a whole lot. I mean, they spent almost, I think, close to $100 million over the first few seasons uh when they started this rebuild process, you fast forward to 2019 and they're in a much healthier position uh, as an organization because they they explored that international uh, talent and they've been able to bring some of these guys in. They're scattered all over the top 20 in the Padres organization as far as top prospects and they were able to land uh, four more out of the top 30 yesterday of these international pros- prospects. So there's no doubt that uh, teams are, are are investing in the international players. Uh, it, it's a lot more fair than it used to be because of the new uh, rules that have been mandated. You only get a certain amount of a pool of money to use, and it's got to be used in a certain time frame. So uh, I I think it's been good for baseball, and, and certainly uh, for those kids who who are out in the Dominican, out in Venezuela, uh, who are getting an opportunity. Uh, Cuba as well. Uh, we've seen that really boom since Yasiel Puig came over. Uh, that's been a, a big part of baseball as well. But there's no doubt about it that these teams uh, are investing in, and they're, they're starting to see some fruit uh, come from, from this investment uh, in the international signing. Yeah, it's huge. And this kid, Jason Dominguez, who we're talking about for the Yankees. The Martian. Yeah, the real <laughs> deal. So, you know, I, this guy's got a 60-yard dash time. Anywhere from 6.19 to 6.3 seconds. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That's that's like elite speed. That's that's that, that's D Gordon type stuff right there. Let's bring on Jimmy Rollins, three-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, and National League MVP in 2007 to go along with his World Series championship in 2008. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. How's everybody doing? 
Everybody's good. We appreciate you coming on today, Jimmy. As as we approach the All Star break, um, you know, we talk about you being a three time All Star. How special was that going to those All Star, knowing that the fans voted you among all the other shortstops, you voted you into the All Star game. Yeah, it's special. Um, you, you you get there, and you know, especially the first time, you're not sure what to expect. You don't want to walk to the clubhouse and be disrespectful for uh, or towards the guys that were there before you that have paved the way. Although it's a little different this year, it seems like the average age, especially for the NL, is like 25 and a half years old. So they're all babies together. But you realize what a special group it is. I mean, it's 750 Major League Baseball players, and only a handful basically get selected to the All-Star game every single year. So you get that first taste into something that you actually you, you, you yearn for every single year, like just to be in that position over and over. And then, obviously, all the festivities, the home run derbies, uh, been in clubhouses with the guys that you've competed against and for one time, at least for you know one evening, that you're wearing the same uniform and, and that competitive nature all goes out the window because it's about beating the American League. So it's a special time. Um, families get to go there, and it's just – a, cele- a celebration of what baseball is at its best, the finest on the field all at one time. Jimmy, you know, I remember your first All-Star game. You were 22 years of age. It was also mm-hmm. my dad's last All-Star game and Cal Ripken's last All-Star game. And you were the, you were by far the youngest dude in, in, in that locker room that day. <laughs> what is it like going in there as that rookie when you have guys like Tony Gwynn, Cal Ripken, A-Rod, Guys that, you know, you're competing against, but at some point you were, you were kind of looking up to these dudes. Yes, sir. It is ve- it is very intimidating. When I say very, I mean very intimidating. You don't know what to do. It's just you know everything that's going on uh, beforehand and how do I deal with this? How do I conduct myself? How do I go in there and not be a fool? How do I not be a fan? Because <laughs> you are fan. These are guys that you I've grown up with and – now I'm in the same locker room with them. These guys with 20 plus years, but yet we're saying the same. We're sharing the same locker room. So, uh, fortunately, I had Kurt Schilling, who I played with, uh, or not played with, but had been in an organization with with the Philadelphia Phillies. Although he was with Arizona at the time, he just grabbed me under his, you know, under his arm, and was like, "Hey, just come in, say hello, act like you belong, and you know, you 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 deserve this. You earned it." And although he said all those words, I didn't believe one. <laughs> you know, it it kind of just helped me, just just like okay, all right, I'm 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 not that I'm accepted, but I'm one of them now. And it, it was it was just a trip. Like even thinking about it, it's just a trip. Jimmy, you're you're listed at five seven, and the way you carried yourself, you carried yourself like you were, you know, seven foot seven out on the field. That inner confidence that you had, I mean, you, you just had that. You could see it out on the field, like you were just you know what, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. Where did that come from? Is that an acquired trait, or is that something you've always had inside? Um, I think it's something I've always had inside. Uh, from the time I was seven or eight years old, having to play with the older kids, I didn't really have time to be fearful or to worry about what I could or couldn't do. It was just show and prove. And, and believe it or not, for a while I was basically the same height as everyone else. It's just that they kept growing when I stopped. <laughs> so then right. My dad had always said, it doesn't matter how big someone is, um, especially in baseball. He said, just worry about being the strongest person on the field at every time. So when I would show up, it didn't matter if you were bigger than me. What I knew was that when it came, I guess, in, in a pound-for-pound sense, 
that I was just as strong and, and had just as much ability as anyone on this ball field. You might be able to do certain things that I can't do, but by the same token, I can do certain things that you, that you can't do. So I'm okay with that. And as long as I stay within my lane, I was okay with whatever challenge was put in front of me. You know, what's interesting, a lot of people don't know, and, and I've had the opportunity to play with Jimmy, and I, I told him this story, but Jimmy used to come down to San Diego and work with my dad. Him and Jock Jones did it for like three or four years straight. And I told Jimmy, my dad was, he was like, Jimmy was one of the guys that my dad worked with that used to frustrate him because he felt like Jimmy <laughs> had the ability to do all of it. He had the ability to hit for power. He had the ability for hit, to hit for average. Obviously, his speed was game-changing, elite defender. But, Jimmy, you used to frustrate my dad so much because he just felt like you were leaving a lot out there. And now we, we look back at the end of your career. I mean, you're the all-times hit leader in Philly. So clearly you were doing something right. But I remember telling you that, and you be you were taken aback a little bit because you always wonder why he never actually told you himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, how that all came about was Larry Boa. It was after my second season, so 2002. Bo came up was like, you know what, Jimmy? You know, I was you know, struggling that year, although I was an all-star, uh, struggled uh, mightily the second half. It's like, why don't you go down and hit with Tony? I'm like, Tony who? Like, Tony Gwynn? I'm like, how the heck is this going to happen? Like, I just, I'm just going to just roll up and hit with Tony Gwynn, huh? And he was like, no, I'll make it happen. So sure enough, he made it happen, and I, and, and I rolled up, and once again, it's like, wow. This is crazy. I'm, I'm really about to go hit with Tony Gwynn. This is crazy. And I knew Jock, so that kind of helped me get over that fear because Jack had known him for a while. And then, you know, just working with Tony, I understood, you know, what he wanted, you know, for me. I understood, you know, the process that he went about it. Look, not everybody can do what you do. That is special. Like, <laughs> right. you, know, you wake up and you can figure it out. I'm like, it doesn't come out easily for me. You talking about defense? Okay, that's, that's one thing. And had he... You know, like you said, had he expressed that to me, it may have changed the way I felt about uh, myself at the plate. That, yeah. wow, if, 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 if Tony Gwynn says I can do it, then maybe he sees something that I don't realize is there and would have, uh, you know, I can't say dedicated, but went about it differently. But my whole life, you know, it was just about, you know, doing what I can and find out what works and what, whatever works, stick with it. And for me, yeah. that's what works. And, you know, I, I used to still, even after I worked with Tony, I would do the drills and I would try the drills. And he would just make them look so simple. I was watching Jock do the drills while we were there. He'd make them look so simple. I'm just like, it is not this easy. <laughs> so when I worked with little kids, would tell them, as your dad told me, and we would be hidden. And it's like, well, why are you getting frustrated? And I was like, because I'm trying to do the drill and I just can't get it. Like, I can see Jock do it. I see you set it up and you set an example. But for me, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And he would say, well, this, is frustration going to make you any better? I was like, no. It's like, well, why waste your time being frustrated? <laughs> so after that point, my whole career, maybe maybe about two or three times I would really, you know, throw a helmet. But, I mean, in however many games I played, I would make an out, have good or bad, bad at that, take my helmet off, sit it right back in the helmet rack, and figure it out just because yeah. of those simple words. Jimmy, let's talk about your, your 2007 MVP season. Uh, you talk about the perfect combination of speed and power. He had 38 doubles, 20 triples, and 30 home runs. You hit 296 that year. Just the perfect culmination of a year. You played in all 162 games. Everything just really clicked for you that year, right? Uh, Cody Ransom had just came over from the San Francisco Giants, and I know that you know Tony and Barry spoke a lot 
Tony was a bottom hand guy. So all spring training, I was working with Cody, learning learning about Barry's philosophy and, and knowing the difference between Barry and Tony. So I kind of married them all together. Yeah. Tony was a bottom hand. Uh, Barry was a top. So I was, it's funny, I, I mean, I, I would always say they do separate things, but they're equally as important. So the yep. bottom hand has mm-hmm. a role, the top hand has a role. And it was just about figuring out what that role was. And that's spring training, I didn't hit like anything because I knew the bigger picture was during the season down the road. So I had those two things going for me, and I got pretty good in the cage, and I just had to learn how to transfer that to the game. Then Mike Schmidt comes over, and he was um, trying to put together a book about hitting. He made perfect sense to me. He was, we talked about the strike zone. And for the first time, I think I really realized the strike zone, you know, as, as a kid, you grew up, you look at the plate, the plate, the ball has to cross the plate to be a strike. But the strike zone is literally a floating area. Mm-hmm. So my focus now went from whether it's over the plate or not to this floating strike zone, uh, you know, in between my knees and chest area and learning what balls I can handle best in this floating strike zone, understanding the top hand row, understanding what the actual strike zone is and what that meant for me. And from day one, it, it, it just clicked. I think I had nine home runs uh, my first month of the season. I'd never done anything like that before, especially that early in the season. I also started reading a book called The Inner Game of Tennis that was just talking about the psychological approach to anything, to life, to winning, to be successful. So had all these things going on, and then the pressure of where the team to be. So I'd yeah. ha- I didn't have a chance to relax. I didn't have a chance to focus, and it ended up being the uh, best season I had in my career. Now, Jimmy, you've kind of moved away from the game. You're three years removed now. Uh, and listen, I, you're from the Bay Area. They don't they don't make they don't make two of the same kind out there. Uh, when you look at when you look at today's game, uh, you look at the shortstops out there. Is there anybody that reminds you of yourself at all? I would have to say he's probably a little bit better, but Frankie Lindor. I mean, and not necessarily or not just on the field, but just his happiness. He seems to have a real joy when he's playing baseball. Every time you look at him, he has a big, big old million watt smile. And it's just enjoying life, enjoying being out there on the field, enjoying being able to show his love for the game. And that reminds me of what I tried to do. It was just when I put on that uniform and I got in that field and I put on that glove and I smelled the grass and picked up that bat, I was happy. Obviously, he's a switch hitter. He plays shortstop. He has some pop. Um, He has some speed. Great defender. Good arm. He makes the routine plays. He makes the spectacular plays. He does everything, and, and, he's, and he's, he bats leadoff, or he has batted leadoff. Um, so in so many ways, I see um, what people felt about me, just the excitement that he brings, and you can see the pure joy every time he's out there on the field. So because of that, um, he's the one that I, I peg, almost like watching myself, but a slightly better version. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate you uh, you hopping on with us uh, on Big Time Baseball Players Edition. Uh, it was, it's been a blast, and, and uh, look forward to working with you in Booth again sometime soon. I want to thank all the listeners uh, listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball Players Edition. Uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can also find us on Twitter at RDC Sports. Until next time, Tony Gwynn Jr., Ben Davis. Thanks for listening in. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. 